pray together again. Heavenly Father, you have done great things. We've witnessed great things uh, just here this morning. I pray for the great things that you're doing in the hearts and the lives of the people that are seated here today. And I pray for the great things you will do. I pray for those who've given up faith. I pray for those who are struggling. I pray for those who are questioning perhaps your even existence. And I pray that you would show them your greatness and the great works and the great life that you have in store for all of us who will take upon the mantle of Christ and live a life as we go into our works, into our homes, into the world. I pray we'd know that. I pray this church would know what Jesus has done. I pray this church would be alive and you would continue to do a great work in us, in this community, in this body. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, again, Mark 9, Ross read. And then he also read another passage that, that I failed to mention, Mark 12. He read verses 18 through 27. What he was doing, what we wanted to do was read one passage where Jesus talked about hell and read another passage that Jesus talked about heaven. Uh, the reason is, is today we're talking about afterlife. Um, those of you who have been coming will know, those of you who don't may not know, but we've been looking at the life of Jesus going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? We know him as Son of God. We know the cross, the tomb. We say we know it. Some of us may really know it. Some of us may have just learned it in Sunday school. But we want to look through a Gospel, the shortest Gospel, and we can't go verse by verse, but we can see aspects of the life of Jesus and answer the question, who is Jesus? And we've seen Jesus about mission. We've seen Jesus about miracles. We've seen Jesus about healing. We've seen Jesus about broken, ordinary people that he uses. We've seen, last week, Jesus about humility. And today, you can't do any study of Jesus without saying that Jesus is about the afterlife, our eternal life. That it's not just the here and now, this life on earth, but it's forever. That our souls are eternal. And he talks some about heaven, and he talks about hell. Actually, Jesus spends more time talking about hell than he does heaven. But let's start with heaven. Good news first. Um, heaven is, you know, heaven is heaven. But, you know, I'd like to ask y'all, you know, what y'all think about heaven. Uh, not you have to answer me, but... You know, what is heaven in your mind? And I kind of came up with a definition of my own. So this is not scripture. This is not Bible. This is just JHT's, you know, definition of heaven. I would say, if I had to just nail it down, heaven is a place of eternal joy and worship. Joy and worship where God is fully known and loved. The passage that Ross read, it talks about, you know, are you married in heaven? And Jesus says, no, there is no marriage in heaven. We will know one another, and we will know, I believe, the relationships that we had in this earth. But Jesus is clear that, that our focus in heaven is on God. It's not on ourselves. It's not on one another. And when our focus, we talked about this last week, humility, when our focus is off ourselves and on something else, particularly on God, I believe that brings us the great joy. So there's eternal joy and worship. Now, I don't know what worship looks like. For some of you, it may be, you know, angels, harps. I, I, that's not my image of it. 
Um, I'm not fond of harps, but you know, whatever heaven has. But we're going to worship. We're going we're to worship probably in all forms and aspects. And we're going to love it. We're going to love worshiping in heaven. And we're going to know God fully. Because no matter how much we know scripture, no matter how much we know church, doctrine, we don't know God fully until we're with him. And we're going to love him more than we can ever imagine for eternity. So, so that's heaven. And that's heaven for me. And, and I look forward to that day. And I hope to see all of y'all there. I want to be with all of y'all for eternity. Now, there's another place. And that is hell. And, you know, hell is, hell is a lot more challenging, first off, because, you know, to be honest, it's like not often preached about. I mean, honestly. You know, there's not a lot of, um, just not a lot of sermons about hell. I mean, we talk about salvation a lot. And then we want to be saved, you know, to go to heaven. But, like, about hell is, you know, is not like tops on the, you know, reaching, you know, lost, uncharted. It's not the seeker-friendly deal to do. Uh, but Jesus talked about it quite a bit. And he was very plain and simple about talking about it. Now, there's some kind of theories, not just about hell, but, like, about afterlife. And some of y'all may have these, or some of y'all may have believed them at one time. They're very prevalent in our culture across the world. Uh, one is just that there's no afterlife at all. As in, like, you know, when you die, that's it. Um, you know, that's, that's the end. Um, a lot of people around the world think that. That, you know, this is, the here and now is all there is, and, and that's the deal. Um, some folks believe in uh, reincarnation. Um, now, I know that seems like hooky-freaky for some of us, but a lot of people, especially in Asian cultures, you know, believe reincarnation, which is you die and then you come back as, um, as something else or somebody else. Um, you know, I was going to say, God forbid, you know, a particular sports fan, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but, you know, you can, so the, the, your rival, you know, God forbid that they would come back as that fan. Reincarnation, another one that is very, very popular. And um, to be quite honest, this is sometimes preached in churches that claim the name of Christ. Uh, it's called universalism. Universalism is basically like just everybody goes to heaven. Uh, what Jesus did was so powerful and so strong that, that it's just, it's done. We're all going to heaven. And that's false. And that's not biblical. And that's not true. But a lot of people think that way. And then the other one, um, this is popular too. It's called annihilationism, if that's a word. But annihilation. As in like, if you, know, you have Christ, you'll go to heaven. And then those who don't, they're just, you know, poof. They're annihilated. So they don't have to experience, you know, eternity in, in hell um, but they're just, they, don't, they can't experience the joy of heaven. So these are some of the, the doctrines. Doctrines can be like a heavy word. Doctrine can be a word. Like, I, I don't want to think about that. But it, doctrine's simple. It's just a way of looking at the world. And so anyway, Jesus talks a lot about the afterlife. And he talks more about hell. And, you know, I think sometimes the thing that challenges us about hell is that we think about hell from our own worldview and from like our own kind of doctrine, and we don't look at it from what the Bible says about it and, and be clear. We just kind of have our own perspective on life, and we want, hey, we really want everybody to be in heaven, so we'll kind of lean universalism. But we really need to look at what the Bible says. And the big question, and actually what I want to do today is kind of go over some questions that we have about afterlife but more specifically about hell. We're going to be talking about hell more so than heaven until the end of the message today. But really hit some big questions that we have. And really, I think the biggest, 
Y'all can debate me if you want, but I think the biggest is how can a loving God, you know, God that's all loving, loving God, like get angry and send people to hell? Or just how can a loving God send people to hell? Or how can a loving God be angry? Or how can a loving God be wrathful? Or what, how does that work? Because we want to think and believe God's all love, and he is all love, but like hell is real, and so people are there. And so how does that work out? That's a big question. It's a big question. Um, I want to share two verses first off. The first verse is 1 Timothy 2.4. This is an attribute about God. 1 Timothy 2.4. It's going to come up on screen. There we go. God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's an aspect, an attribute of God. God, our Savior, wants everyone, and that everyone in Greek means all over creation, all over the world, to be saved. That is his love. He wants everyone to be saved. That's what he wants. That's his desire. Another aspect, though, is Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Another aspect of God, it says the wrath. Wrath, bad word. You know, bad, wrath of God, you know, like we think of Old Testament style, raining down. From heaven against all godliness and wickedness of those who suppress the truth. So basically, you know, if you do bad, if you are wicked, the wrath of God's gonna rain down on you and you're gonna have a bad day and a bad time for eternity. So there's wrath, but then God wants everybody to be saved. How does that work out? How do, how do we piece that? How do we get our minds around that? Well, I'd ask you a question. Um, is love and anger, or are love and anger mutually exclusive? Are, are love and anger totally separate in your life, in, in my life? Like, think of the most loving person you know, and I hope that there's someone in your life that is, like, so loving that just sticks out, okay? Um, you know, my mom, really my parents, um, are the most loving people that I know, um, yet at times I would do some bad things and I would have to get punished. Um, they spanked me. Uh, on worse days, I got switched. I don't know if some of y'all know what switch means. That's, you, you, it's kind of going Union County there. Uh, even, even worse, when mom asked me to go pick out the switch and I brought back a little twig. Those were the worst days. Um, Y'all might not get what I meant by that, but it was, you know, be, trying to be sarcastic, and she didn't like that. Um, so, but they're the most loving people I know. But yet, when I did some bad things, they wanted to correct me because they, they just did not want to see me live in that way, in that manner. So, that kind of got handed down to me. And so, just kind of full disclosure, I don't know if this makes you uncomfortable or maybe it's like, rah, rah, go JHT, but uh, we, we spank our kids, okay? So not like every day, not, not like we, we love spanking our kids. No, but we, we do spank them, you know? And this week, uh, and I love my kids, you know, as those of y'all who have children, I know y'all love them more than your, your life. Um, we know that feeling. But like this week, I was up in Union County in New Albany, and Jack and Logan were having a bath together, and Jack thought I was away. He thought I wasn't looking. And Logan was kind of wrestling with it. I mean, Logan just loves to wrestle, and he just, you know, like Jack just, just wailed off on him. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, like, like, I heard it, and I snuck back in there, and I saw the last two blows, and I was like, dude, Jack, like, like, boom, boom, you know, like, 
And Logan is tough. Logan's actually tougher than Jack. Love Jack, but Logan's tough to He's like, whatever, man. And he went on to about his thing. I was like, Jack. And I told him recently, because he'd hit Logan again in the bath, I was like, next time it's immediate, man, spanking. So I called him. You know, he froze. He knew he he was busted. And I was like, man, that's a spanking. And what I wanted to do, though, was let it linger. And so I was like, we're going to take your bath first, and you're going to process. You're going to think about it. You're going to know it's coming. And then we're going to have that spanking. So anyway, I bathed him and everything. And, you know, he was pretty solemn. Dried him off. Well, then he goes to mommy. And you know he's lobbying on that, that end. And he comes back, and he's kind of sort of tearing up. But he says, you know, Dad, to be honest, um, bottom, he used the word. He said, well, just use the word bottom. He said, you know, Dad, you know, my, my bottom's already pretty hurt and pretty sore. I, I think we're good. You know, you don't have to have to spank me. I was like, are you, what are you saying, man? He's like, it's, it's, it's hurting already. So. so I was like, no, come on, on the knees. And uh, anyway, he got a little, he got a spanking. But then I talked to him afterwards, and, you know, I, I love him so much. And to see him, you know, rail off against his brother, uh, I did say, you know, man, man, save that for the bully in the playground. I mean, seriously, I want him to defend himself. Uh, seriously. But. I don't want you to do this with a kid who's littler than you and weaker than you and your brother. And he's like, I get that. And so, you know, we hugged and we had a good, you know, kind of moment, cry together. And, uh, but, so love and anger. I love him more than anything. But I was very angry that he did that to his brother. So those two aren't like totally separate. In my life, at least. Maybe, maybe you're different. God, look, God hates sin. And we all sin. Uh, hopefully we don't sin, you know, like all the time, constantly. But, you know, sometimes we, we're there. And God hates sin because it, you know, it almost like his creation. He loves you and you and us. And he loves all of us so much that sin, like, it defiles his creation. And he hates sin. And he doesn't want us to live in sin. And those who continue to live in sin, it, again, it just like, it like desecrates, it, it defiles his creation. And so he's going to be angry. And there's, there's wrath and there's, there's judgment. And for those who don't repent and those who are prideful, it's like, man, I'm going to still go my own way and I'm still going to hit back. And hey, maybe I'll take a gun next time. Or, you know, maybe I'm just going to be angry the rest of my life. Or maybe I'm just going to lust the rest of my life. I'm going to carry this pride. And don't worry about it, God. I can do my own thing. And God's like, man, I created you. I love you. And, and you still just want to be your own boss. Then he'll let us. Just let us be our own boss. And, and go. To get hell, to, to really put our arms or our minds around hell, I mean, we first have to get that all of us have sin like rooted in us. Um, all of us created by God, we all, our nature is saying, thanks for creating me, but I'll be my own boss, okay? That, that's our nature, as, as clear and simple as I could put it. And so, in that vein, all of us, and this is going to be tough, so let me preface that, all of us deserve eternal separation from God. You're like, no, 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 man, we're good. Like, humanity is good, really? Check the news out. Oh, but we're civilized here. Yeah, Mississippi? We really don't want to go into our past either. Oh, but we're like, fam- you know, everything, yeah. Um, 
yeah, come on, we can. But we're, we're like privileged here, and we, we, we're, we're okay. Yeah, materialism, affair, we can, <laughs> we don't want to go there. We all deserve eternal separation. But God has saved us in Christ. That's, that's what we, Jesus saved us. He's like, he's literally saved us from hell, from eternal sin. He did what we couldn't do. And so to get hell, we first have to get that we're sinful and we're deserving of eternal separation and that God hates sin and he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. Amen. Now, some other questions, though, real quick is, you know, what is hell? Like, what's it like? Not that we want to be there, but like, you know, fire. We, we hear the word fire a lot. First off, it's, I want you to get, like, hell wasn't created for us. Like, God didn't say, you know, he didn't sit there, you know, twitching his mustache and say, you know, I'm going to create this place where I can send people and I can enjoy it. That's not it. He created it for the devil. Actually, the Bible says that. Matthew 25, uh, 11, or no, it's 25, 41, right here. Very clear, short verse. Scripture says, depart from me into the eternal fire. And we're going to come back on that word eternal fire here in a second. Prepared for the devil and his angels. So like God did not have this great joy about creating a place for human beings. Hell is not for us. Hell is for the devil and his angels. And then we, the human race, fell into sin and people still want to sin. And so people, hell is populated by us too. But he didn't make it for us. Now, often we think about hell as like fire. You know, hellfire, brimstone. Uh, I did not want to make this message like the hellfire, brimstone sermon. Some of you are like, please do. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to hear that. But, you know, we get these ideas about hellfire and brimstone. And, you know, it's just like, man, this is kooky, freaky. And fire is mentioned about hell a lot, even in the passage that Ross read. But a lot of scholars believe, and this is interesting, that fire, it's not like a real place of, of fire. I was watching with Jack last night one of the Star Wars. It's episode three for all you Star Wars fanatics. And, you know, it's the, the final lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And they're on a place that, like, in our minds would look like hell. They're on this planet of lava. And honestly, immediately I think about when I see that, I mean, my mind goes to hell. But a lot of scholars think that the fire was really a metaphor that hell is not a place of fire, but it's actually a place of something much, much worse. Um, you know, how can it be worse than fire? Well, I want to use two people um, who, who I really love their, their writing and read them a lot, Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis. We have one of Keller's books on this study in the foyer for But they talked about hell, and um, these are two good analogies. And Keller, Tim Keller, is talking about fire and hell being like fire. And he says it's really not fire, but... If you think about it, what does fire do? Fire totally disintegrates things. I mean, fire like totally, completely disintegrates. And in hell, when I say it's far worse, hell is the eternal disintegration of a soul. That's, that's bad. I mean, think of it like this. All of us know selfish, prideful people. I mean, I wish we didn't, but there's probably somebody that you know. Let's say back in high school that you knew it was like just so selfish and so just self-consumed and maybe arrogant. Maybe he was a schoolyard bully. And then, you know, you come back to your 10 or 20-year or high school reunion, and they're like worse. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but they, they like haven't grown up at all. And 
Even worse, they're, they're more selfish. They're more self-conceited. Maybe they actually like have money now. Maybe they've done good so they can like actually really like bully people around and look all, you know, like they're just selfish. They've grown in their selfishness, okay? So imagine a person like that for 10,000 years growing in pride and arrogance and selfishness and self-consumption and conceitedness and bullying and all about me. They lose their humanity. I mean, the the soul, the person, disintegrates. And I believe that's what hell does. There is a disintegration, and they just keep getting worse and worse and more evil and more evil. And I mean, for eternity. Somebody get their phone. Anyway, um, it's cool. Bells ring. That might be God or something. Um, The other guy is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, he uses a metaphor, and he says there's a bus and the bus is going from hell to heaven. And so people from hell are on the bus. And the interesting thing, he says, like, when it's, the bus stops at heaven, they don't get out. As in, they don't want to get out. They would rather be in hell. They would rather be consumed on their own, about themselves, prideful, all about me. You know, it stops at heaven. And it's like, hey, your focus is on God now. Like, What? They don't want to pull their focus off themselves. So they don't want to get out. They don't want to live in a world where it's not about them. So they choose, they, they choose to stay in hell. C.S. Lewis also wrote, he said, the greatest monument, same about monuments. Lewis said, the greatest monument to human freedom is hell. That people choose hell. How do people choose hell? Well, God makes it clear, man. Repent and believe the gospel, which is turn to him. So turn away from our sinful lives. Turn away from being all about us and all about building our kingdom and being our own boss. And says, just turn to me. And we resist. And we say, no, I want to I be on the throne. I want to be my own king or queen. And yeah, can I still get my fire insurance though? And guys, God says, no. Really? Here's what I mean by that. We want fire insurance, but we still live our lives prideful and selfish. And we say, man, I got it. God said, you don't have it. Now, we can be saved at the last minute. So don't get me wrong. At the last moment of death, man, I mean, thief on the cross, greatest example. But if we're still living prideful, sinful, selfish, conceited, all about us lives, and we want to go that way, and we're not willing to give, and we're like, hey, I got my fire. I'm good. I had that moment. Sunday. I don't know if we're really good. I don't know if God thinks that we're okay. Just saying. Something to think about. Um, you know, one other thing I'd like to add is uh, the question of, you know, justice or injustice and tolerance. Because, you know, that, that moment right there that I just said, you could easily have thought, that's, that's not tolerant. You know, saying that, that people are going to go to hell. That's not tolerant of God. Saying that, you know, you, you deserve hell. Um, that's, not, that's not right. That's not fair. I mean, honestly, fairness in our mind is like universalism. Like, everybody just gets heaven. And, but here's the thing. And when we did a, a couple... Well, last year I did a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And I talked about this man in the, uh, the judgment sermon. He will judge the living and the dead. This is a man named Miroslav Volf like wolf with a V. And uh, he lived through the whole Balkan 
crisis. Serbia, Yugoslavia, ethnic cleansing. And so he literally saw and witnessed, you know, family members killed, raped, pillaged towns. And he's a Christian, he's a theologian, I think he's been a pastor too. But he talks about, he said, my only recourse living through that was my faith and there was a just God and that God would judge and that God would ultimately take care. He said, if I didn't have that, then I would go to the gun or to the fist or to the bomb or something worse because I'd want to retaliate and I'd want to take justice into my own hands. And it's the same for us. See, I mean, I, you know, we really live, and this is not like trying to put I don't know how you'd say it, you know, trying to make us feel guilty or myself guilty, but we, we live such a sheltered life. And again, you, you look around the world, I mean, places like Syria right now, you know, in the 90s, a country, Rwanda, people were massacred, um, serving the military. You see, uh, in, you see things that people go through that are like so sometimes wretched, and you're like, how? And if we don't have the faith in a God who judges and will give divine justice, then what do we have to offer as believers? But when we do, we can say someone who has experienced severe injustice, and look, you don't have to live in a far-flung country. We can experience it right here. When we can say, and God is ultimately, we're ultimately going to stand before God. He's ultimately going to judge, and he will make things right. And we can help people where they won't reach for the fist or the gun or the bomb or something worse. And we can help people so they won't carry bitterness around in their heart. And look, you don't have to go through a war zone again. I mean, you can go through you know, a, a divorce proceedings or you can go through a broken relationship. You can go through anything and have bitterness. But we can give people help and say, then God is there. We will stand before God. He will judge. He will. And we can offer something to people. Last point I have and go to the scripture. You don't have to put it up there, but the scripture that said, you know, the eternal fire. Because the question that I get a lot is, um, is hell eternal? Um, a lot of people want to believe annihilationism, where you just kind of evaporate, or that you, that you go to hell, but at a point, you, you do, you, you're annihilated. You're, you're no more. And so it, um, you know, it's not eternal. And again, scripture is just, scripture just doesn't say that. We just saw a verse and Ross read a verse, verse, uh, verse 48 in chapter 9, the fire that will never be quenched. And, and that's a struggle too. So this, this place that, you know, whether you think literally a fire, just the soul disintegrates and it's eternal. You know, that's, that freaks us out. Freaks me out. Um, so why is it like that? Well, first off, Scripture says it's that way. But even more so, because God loves us. Right? That doesn't make sense. Jonathan Edwards, I quoted him last uh, week. He gets a bad rap because he talked about the angry God, but he's really one of the greatest minds this country's produced. Jonathan Edwards said, the most compassionate thing, the most loving thing a person could do is to scare a person out of a house that's burning down. To sort of like, how does eternal fire mean that God's loving? Well, maybe the eternal fire is there to... I mean, literally, I think it's okay, and again, not seeker-sensitive here, but like to frighten a person away from hell, to frighten a person away from a prideful life, to frighten a person away from eternity to be in another place, to be in heaven. So I'm okay with that. I'm down with that. I know that's like, may not... 
jive with our rational minds. But that quote struck me. The most compassionate thing a person could do is to scare a person out of a house burning down. Another quote, and this is a guy you probably will not know at all. Um, I like early church history, so this happened in like 155 A.D., and the dude's name was Polycarp. I don't even know if I pronounce it that way. I'm with Ross. We don't pronounce things right. But uh, Polycarp, who was a bishop of Smyrna, um, and so, you know, he was spreading the gospel, and he was caught and arrested by the Roman Empire, and they were going to tie him to a stake and burn him. But they offered him a way out. They said, if you will just recant Christ, if you will just say, you know, I really don't believe that, I'm, you know, if you will just change your mind, if you will just say, you know, really, you know, Caesar is king, we'll, we'll let you go. And this dude said, the fire that you're about to start will last maybe an hour until it's quenched. But you know not of the eternal fire that will never be quenched. And he said, so come, do what you must. Someone who believed that there's a lot worse things than being burned at the stake. Wow, that's like mind-blowing. But Christians believe that. Christians believe there's a lot worse things that can happen than being thrown to lions. There's 10,000, there's millions of years, there's eternity where your soul is disintegrating. It's not much worse than that. But what we need to remember, coming back to the good news, Jesus Christ was sent by God so that we would never have to face his anger, his wrath, or hell. And we keep working on our own and trying to build up our lives and be good Christians and join 20 accountability groups or 50 Bible studies. And that's all good, and we can learn. But at the end of the day, nothing we do will save us. Jesus has already done the work on the cross, and then he defeated death, by the way, rising from the grave. He did it. And so when we literally say, and I think we take it for granted, I think it just rolls over our head, that, hey, we're saved, or we want people to be saved, or our Savior, that Jesus literally and truly has saved us from eternal hell. I mean, amen? Amen. But it's hard to get, because we've been inoculated, inundated with that. We, it's very hard for us to get. But the thing is, God doesn't want us to face that. God doesn't want us to experience hell. God doesn't want to experience his wrath. His anger. So he sent his son. And you're going to talk about injustice. The most unjust thing that's ever happened in history. History. Was the sinless son of God. The lamb was killed. Slaughtered. For you and for me. Sinless. Perfect. Pure. He took on our sin. Died for us. That's the most unjust thing that's happened. We can't argue against that. And he did it. And he did it for us. Two more verses real quick. One, John 3, 36. John 3, 36. If we got it. John 3, 36. There we go. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. Pretty clear right there. One other verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does salvation happen? How does heaven happen? How does eternal life with God happen? Jesus Christ. 
It's very clear. It's very simple. It's very easy. And the reason we do communion each and every week is not some rote tradition or not to like be some type of church that just does communion every week. It's that we all can see, myself included, the physical representation of what Jesus has done for you and for me from what Jesus has saved us from. That the body's been broken, the blood's been shed, that Jesus paid a price, He paid a penalty for us and that we can live with Him and reign with Him and love Him and experience eternal joy and peace and it's not about ourselves and be with God and no matter our lot in life or no matter what's happened or no matter what we've done, we can be with Him because He's done it. So I'm going to ask you today two things. First, I just want to ask you to think about, do you truly get this? We're two weeks away from Easter. We walk down here and take communion every week. Do you truly get it? You're like, I got it, man. Sunday school. B group. No, I mean, like, because if you truly get it, I mean, I believe it humbles you. I believe it brings us to our knees. I believe we come to a point of crying. If you haven't cried over the gospel, I don't know if you've really gotten it. You're like, I'm not a crier. There's nothing more powerful than the gospel. And I think a lot of us, hear me right on this, I'm going to say it again. I think a lot of us, have been conformed to religion for so long, we have no idea what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We've done church. We've done Sunday school. And our lives are still, we're like, what, what is the deal? Conform to religion. Conform to church. And the Holy Spirit can't transform our life. How does that happen? Repent. Come to the Lord's table. Get. Have faith. Jesus has done this for me. For me. And for others. I think I'd like you to do first, just think, man, do, I, do I get this? Other thing is, you have bulletins. I hope you have bulletins. If you don't, just take a piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to do it. You don't have to do it right now. If the Holy Spirit puts somebody in your head right now, do it. I'd love for you to just write a name, a name of a person. Maybe it's your own name. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Who, if something happened to them today, you don't know where they would be for eternity. And I would like you to stick this piece of paper on your fridge or somewhere where you see it daily in your car. And I'd like you to pray for this person for two weeks specifically leading up to Easter. And pray for their name and pray for them by name. Pray that the Holy Spirit melts their heart. Pray that the Holy Spirit brings them to their knees. Pray for something to happen that God would change their life. You don't have to. We don't force you, but I'm, I'm asking you to. Two weeks till Easter. Look, the Holy Spirit can change lives. We want to be about changing lives. We want to be about what St. Patrick was, expanding the gospel. So there's people that you know who need Jesus. And their eternity, their eternal life is, is being staked on it. Just maybe God will lead you to a name coming down to take communion. But whenever he does, whatever he does, just write a name. Pray for that per- one person for two weeks. Let's see what God does. And it may be your own name. That's okay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We don't thank you enough. We don't know enough. But dear Lord, I I pray you put in me, I pray you instill in us what Jesus has done to save us, to truly and fully save us, to save our, our lives, save our marriages, save our children. May we know it fully. May we pray for people that they would know it fully. May we see your Holy Spirit work in action because it can and may we believe in it. And it has eternal consequences. And that we have a a role to play in in bringing about your kingdom. To lead people to Christ. To change their eternal lives. And there's nothing greater to be used by Christ. I pray that every person in this room would be used by you in so many great ways. Starting this Easter. Starting today as we take communion. In Jesus name. Amen. Mm -hmm.